in bigger, more established brands that are, have been doing this for longer and know what they're doing, they mm-hmm. have a consistent voiceover. You know, they, yeah. ha- they have a character or a personality or a sound, a voice, a brand. They have mnemonics and music as well. But they have like that spokesperson voiceover that they've identified and they're taking it seriously and they're consistent with it. And then other brands that are newer and just emerging, every single project, they have a new voice on it. And it's just, yeah. you know, that's... It just shows that they've been doing it for less time and they're just less kind of organized with it. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. I'm your host, Jody Krangle, and this podcast will discuss just how sound influences our behavior. I generally talk about this in the context of advertising and marketing, but there are other places this is important too. I really feel that it plays a much more important role in our lives than maybe we realize. So let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Nick Crane. My next guest has been making music since he was eight and making films since he was 11. In September of 2019, he launched Racket Club, that's spelled R-A-C-K-E-T a boutique music production studio focusing on original composition and music supervision for brands such as Nike, Verizon, Toyota, and Ford. He also composes for short films, and his latest score for Jamila was released on Nowness in April of 2019. Nick Crane can be found at racketclub.tv or at racketclubmusic on Instagram. And I know that anything he has to say about sound is going to be pretty interesting. So perk up your ears and listen in. Welcome, Nick. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time to talk to me today. <laughs> That's my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> yeah. It's a we great thing to do to right now. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you how you're doing, first off, um, because weirdness abounds. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. Luckily, uh, work has been steady. That's good. Which is... Uh, you know, I'm super, super thankful for that. And, uh, you know, just really just feeling lucky because a lot of people can't work at all. You know, a lot of people are in mm-hmm. much worse situations for a lot of reasons. I'm healthy. I've got work going. That takes my mind off things. So it's sure. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel for you there. Yeah. <laughs> the voiceover work, thankfully, it's a little bit slower than it has been, but it's still there. Sure. And yeah. And I, like you, I feel quite lucky that I get to do what I love to do still and I'm healthy and yeah. 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 So that's, we're doing okay. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so to start this all off, I want to ask you how you got into your love of music, your love of audio in general. Um, what's your background? Oh my God. What a question. Um, I'm, you know, I, uh, I started, I started writing music when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I started playing music when I was much younger. I mean, I've always been trying to play music. I, I my parents have recordings of me when I was, you know, a toddler making up songs and things, <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Um, it's the same it's, for my just, parents, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. They I like was singing when I was like things. six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, for just forever. I've, I've always been into it. Um, and I worked in, I was in a band for a long time uh, in New York. And we'd, mm-hmm. we'd just basically play around the tri-state area and have big parties for our concerts. And we had a little following and it was just a lot of fun. But I, uh, you know, eventually I needed to 
make some money and figure out how to do that. And I got into advertising through the post world. Um, mm-hmm. I was a post producer for many years. And I figured I had a friend who was at, a, you know, at an editorial house and uh, that worked on commercials and short films. And so I, he got me a job there. Um, and then I kind of worked my way over into the music side of things through that door. Great. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier about um, directories that have uh, already created music and stuff like that for commercials and films and whatever. Um, so seeing as this is what you do, you create uh, music for advertising and films and all of this stuff. Um, yeah. What's How do you differentiate what you do from those services? Um, I'm... I and Racket Club are more focused on bespoke composition and mm-hmm. more than just composition, bespoke solutions for uh, for brands' music needs. So that could be anything. That could be a mm-hmm. collaboration with an existing artist, uh, a popular artist, an indie artist. It could be a search. You know, it, it could be finding something to license or it could be composition. The, the idea is that, you know, if you work with a directory or like a stock music house, which is, which is great. There's a lot of great ones, but with racket club, you have the option of doing more, you know, you can approach the music from a variety of angles and it can be very much customized to your project. That's, that's what kind of we do differently. Mm -hmm. And you partner with artists to do this as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've been supervising for a lot of years and I, have a lot of friends at at record labels and publishing houses and I have a lot of direct artist connections too. Um, and I love to, I love to work that way. You know, um, I just, just did a project that just inked yesterday, uh, with a great artist named Matt Gray. Who's a, he's an Australian musician Mm -hmm. and I just heard him on Spotify somewhat randomly. And he had this amazing album out I listened to it obsessively for a few weeks and then I, you know, I just <laughs> shot him an email being like, do you, do you have any interest in composing for film or, or anything? And, uh, he did, and we just did a project together. So it's, it's a cool organic way to, to meet and work with, uh, independent musicians too. Wonderful. What kind of a project is it, is it okay to ask? You don't have to give me specifics or anything, but was it a film? What is it, was it advertising? What, what was it for? It was a commercial. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, he's, you know, he, he is, was totally into it. He's a really nice guy. And then I, I get to be a fan of somebody and then go from that to working with them, you mm-hmm. know, which is cool and supporting their career too, which is nice. Yeah. And musicians definitely need that support, <laughs> especially yeah. now. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause there's, you know, there's no way to get paid as a musician. I mean, you have to be touring a lot and selling a lot of yeah. tickets. And that's pretty much it these days, you know, like that's the way to make money as a musician or you get placements in commercials Mm -hmm. and then the licensing. Yeah. That supports your next album recording or whatever, you know, like that's, that's how you do it. Cause the record, the record industry, the record label industry, you know, getting a big record deal is, is just like, it's, it's so, it's so shrunken from what it used to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't know if it's all it was cracked up to be in the first place, (laughs) but, uh, I don't know. Back in the fifties, sixties, maybe the glory days, seventies, 
you know. When they actually, you know, invested in artist development. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it's interesting. I've been seeing the whole great equalizer of everyone being in their home studios now. So it's been really interesting seeing what, you know, famous artists have in their own homes. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's not any better than what we have. <laughs> oh, totally. With technology, I mean, you can do so much more. You don't need that investment necessarily. It's but true. It's still hard to make money. Yeah, definitely. Um, just going back to this whole thing of getting artists and um, companies together, what advantages are there to having an artist actually compose something specifically for your project? Oh, well, I think that's that's such a great thing for a brand because it just gives you kind of an integrity, you know? I mean... That's interesting. Okay, yeah. It, integrity is hard to come by in advertising, I think originality is hard to come by too, um, but they're two of the most valuable things you can have on a project. And if you pair up with a, an artist who's writing something for you that also has their own following and their own reputation, it's like a cross-branding kind of thing. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you're cross-promoting, which is cool. And yeah. uh, it's it's just a, it's a good look. It helps the artist. It shows that you're brand supports the arts. Always a good thing. Uh, and it can be a real good win-win, you know. Yeah, definitely. How does this help um, a company with their audio brand? Um, I'm assuming that you choose artists or types of music that match with the company's particular branding. Um, do you sit down with them and have this kind of discussion with the company uh to, you know, decide what kind of music and, and what kind of sound and feel they're after? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's the first step. Um, and companies, you know, by the time they're talking to me, they have a very specific brand identity, you know, that I mean, mm -hmm. that's been well hashed out. And so it's that's a fairly easy part of the process because they know they know what their identity is. And then it's just about finding a musician that pairs with that. You know, yeah. so they know they kind of know what they are. And then it's my job to find somebody that matches that personality. That's great. Yeah. Do you ever have clients approach you when they don't know this information, when they're just figuring it out themselves? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And what uh, do you tell them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just try to be really open minded and try to push the boundaries a little bit. I, I oftentimes, you know, will think of an artist I'll have ideas of things that could work, you know, in my imagination that I think might be a good pairing. Mm -hmm. um, it might be a good fit for them. And I just I just run through suggestions. And and I, I like when that's the case because I get to have a little more voice in the process, um, which is always nice. You know, I'm a creative person. I like I like to be creative. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's nice when I get to kind of pitch ideas, you know, in that case. But I'd say for me, though, like 90% of the time they know, they kind of know what they are when they come into it. So I'm, so I'm more somebody who's helping them find what they, like find a match. Mm -hmm. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, a lot, of, a lot of brands have, you know, a lot of the brands I work with anyway have people in charge of that. They, they have put so much thought into that by the time they're talking to me. And then I'm the mm -hmm. I'm I'm the one who's who's helping them execute. That's really good, actually, because a, a lot of um, companies um, that I've come in contact with, unfortunately, have not 
devoted a lot of time or effort to the audio end of things. And so when they start doing that, it's sort of, um, it starts out as an afterthought and then they realize how important it is. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, I, I completely relate to the afterthought comment. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so important. It's, it's, uh, you know, when you, when you see a commercial or something, it's, it's, you know, half of what you're experiencing is the audio and there's so little attention given to that, especially the music and, and, you know, to your, to your point or to your angle, the, uh, the voiceover and -hmm. that personality. Yeah. It's very much, a. It's something that should not be an afterthought, but but that often is, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. And you see it in, in bigger, more established brands that are, have been doing this for longer and know what they're doing. They have mm-hmm. a consistent voiceover. You know, they, yeah. ha- they have a character or a personality or a sound, a voice, a brand. They have mnemonics and music as well, but they have like that spokesperson voiceover that they've identified and they're taking it seriously and they're consistent with it. And then other brands that are newer and just emerging, every single project, they have a new voice on it. And it's just, yeah. you know, that's it just shows that they've been doing it for less time and they're just less kind of organized with it. Yeah, they're trying. They're still trying to find their voice. And I'm I'm saying that right. in the larger context of not just the voiceover, but also their their entire sound. Right. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious as to your take on what's going on now in, in particular, because um, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a video going around right now that has a series of all of these COVID-19 commercials in one thing um, that, you know, uses the same music, almost all these, you know, somber <laughs> piano music and then the same kind of voiceover and the same kind of message. And like, I'm hearing it multiple times. I'm curious as from your point of view, what could people do for that kind of a somber, you know, more touchy feely kind of announcement? What could they do to change it up a little? Because I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming that you're seeing a lot of what I'm seeing and probably experiencing it in pretty similar ways because you're listening to the sound as much as I am. <laughs> um, I'm just curious as to your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I've been sent that that spot, you know, it's uh, and I, I've been avoiding it's, watching it because I'm pretty scared that one of my tracks is in there. <laughs> if it's a compilation, because it I've done at this point, we've done several uh, covid mm-hmm. spots. And yes. unfortunately, the brief has been pretty much the same on all of them. It's all hopeful piano strings, mm-hmm. sparse, emotive, yeah. like that's it. And it's so incredible, the lack of originality that's happening um, in these spots. But you're starting to see it get better. Um, mm-hmm. I think at first, everybody was rushing to get messaging out. And yeah. so they weren't putting a lot of thought into the music. They're just like, what makes sense? Okay, piano. What, all right, you know. and, and, and so we fielded a lot of those briefs and we, you know, we gave them really emotive, hopeful melancholy piano music and they were happy with it (laughs) and yeah and then at the end you look back at those spots and you're just like oh my god it's just so generic (laughs) but yeah I've seen some new ones that have come out recently that are way better and it's it's I think the best approach right now is to use a classical song uh, not classical sorry a classic song Mm -hmm. with lyrics about staying together um, I heard a David Bowie one recently Um, I think it was changes but I, I don't remember yeah Oh, no, That's it was actually un- a good it one. It was under pressure. It was under pressure. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. The That's Bowie a good one, too. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Queen. Yeah. 
And that was, I thought that was like the best way to approach it. Like just Mm -hmm. use something that people can relate to that makes people happy under pressure. This classic song about struggling and, and overcoming when you're at your darkest, you know, and it was just, that was an example of a really great COVID spot, mm-hmm. you know, that's just breaking the mold, doing something a little riskier, a little more positive, a little different. And that's that's my absolute advice is to take a risk, commit to something, do something, like put the music at, you know, just try to be different and break the mold a little bit because then you'll be memorable. And that's the whole game, you know? Yeah. Really being memorable, <laughs> not sounding like everybody else. <laughs> I know it seems obvious. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's just shocking how much people are doing that that minimal piano thing. I'm just I'm over yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I I think a lot of us are over it. Yeah, actually, um, almost rather than watching the video, and you don't need to watch the whole video to get the idea of what they're going for. Um, read the comments because. Um, on YouTube, the comments are very revealing. And some of the people that have commented are copywriters and marketing people. And they're commenting on, yeah, we kind of dropped the ball, but we had to do this fast and we only had stock footage and, you know, all oh, of really? this, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're not apologizing for it necessarily, but they're saying, yeah, we could do better and we will do better. And, you know, they're... Yeah. They, well, they acknowledge. I'm apologizing to you right now for my involvement because, and also to my clients for now, you know, shit talking them essentially. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't swear. But, um, you know, <laughs> because, you know, they, they're, they're helping me get through this time by paying the bills and oh, yeah. getting me involved in projects. And I'm very thankful to be involved and to be sharing my hopeful, sad piano music with the world. <laughs> Well, ultimately, I mean, you give clients what they ask for. You know, it's the same thing, you know, with my voiceover. A client asks me to do something for them. I do it. You know, that's what they wanted. And (laughs) Do you ever do accents? Um, I don't tend to, no. Um, I always wonder uh, if that's a funny request you get as a voiceover. uh, You know, I'm sure a a lot of other voice actors might. um, Accents are not my thing, really. So <laughs> oh, that would be so hard. Yeah, I remaining consistent is the toughest thing. Um, it's uh, it's interesting, but I think a lot of character actors, a lot of people who do animation and video games and that kind of thing, they're sure. much more used to that kind of request. <laughs> right, it's a specialty, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I usually get the you know we want warm and and friendly and emotive and approachable and. You know, that's yeah. the, that's the kind of stuff I usually get. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's the best way to be, right? Because it's like you're right you're now. trying to be yourself and your best version of yourself consistently, and that's sure. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. way to operate. I've had this I've had this conversation with a, a a lot of other people in that, and you probably experience this too when you're writing a piece of music. And when I'm doing a performance of a particular script, I'm in a completely um, uh, just like a, an unnatural situation, right? Like I'm sitting in a booth with a microphone in my face and headphones on, right? Talking to a wall. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. So probably the same thing with you. You have to have some kind of a running commentary or some kind of a film going on in your head while you're composing or speaking or whatever. It's theater of the mind, 
for us, you mm. know, as well as the people that we're doing it for. Yeah, no, totally. I think you've got it worse than me because, like you said, you're <laughs> you're speaking to a wall. Um, mm. I've I'm luckily I I usually have a visual to go along with what I'm composing. Best That's case good, scenario, yeah. not always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes I do have to compose using my imagination of what the spot's going to look like or what the mm-hmm. film's going to look like. Um, but for the most part, I get to have something there as a reference, so I can kind of jive with that. So what do you usually get as a reference? Do they give you the the finished commercial or do they give you the finished movie or do you just get like a storyboard or something or a I- general idea of what they're going for? <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, usually, best case scenario, they give me a working edit, you know, a rough cut of the commercial mm-hmm. um, or, or the film. And, and uh, worst case scenario, it's at least it's, it's it's at least a storyboard. I get that too. You know, I'd mm-hmm. say fifty percent of the time I get a spot to work against. Which That's is good. Yeah, yeah, it's so helpful. Because <laughs> I mean, otherwise you're in a vacuum. It's just, it's almost ridiculous to work like that. But it happens mm. half the time. Yeah, yeah, it really does. <laughs> um, and actually, in the case of voiceover, a lot of it is auditioning before you even get the job, and you have to imagine. You have to imagine what the person writing that spec had in their head when they were hoping to find the voice for the spot. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, By the way, it's, they still don't know what that voice is by the time yeah, it gets exactly. to you. you know? They'll just, know when they hear their, it. You're guessing yeah. at what their <laughs> guess is, you know? Yes. And that's, I can totally relate to that. I mean, when we demo um, and when we do searches, you're trying to read the mind of somebody who's not even sure of what they want. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's really a, it's an intuitive process. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please take a moment to give the podcast a review. It's greatly appreciated and super helpful. Until next time.